This is a Handshake Agency podcast. Hi, and welcome to part two of the Green Room's COVID Music Industry Roundtable Special presented by the Handshake Agency. I'm your host, Tiana Speter, and for anyone tuning in here, if you haven't already, I would highly recommend listening to part one first, where we chat with an array of music industry figures about the current state of the industry as it stands in the latter half of 2021, the financial impacts and associated government support, and all the issues therein. And we also touched on some of the groundbreaking initiatives that have sprung up as a result. Today in part two, we will be exploring some ideas for what a potential roadmap to recovery for the Australian music industry may look like, what the future of the Australian music industry is shaping up to be in the short and longer terms, and overall some exploration into how we can survive and actually just get through this together as an industry. For music lovers and music makers, our industry is at a bottleneck and at breaking point. But where exactly do we go from here? Can we still believe in the future of live music? For part two of this series, my music industry panel are here armed with solutions and more. As with part one, for regular listeners, this is definitely not the upbeat green room you're probably used to. But please do stick with us because we do hope it's an important episode which further outlines just how much our industry and your favourite artists are suffering and hurting and just how this all affects everyone involved and beyond. A warning here that this episode does touch on some mental health topics. If you are suffering from any of the issues that have been discussed today or you need assistance, please contact Lifeline on 131114. Beyond Blue on 1300 226 or alternatively, the Support Act Wellbeing Hotline on 1800 959 In part one of this series, we took a look into the reality for many around the music industry as we forge ahead into the latter half of 2021, with many of us back in 2020 mistakenly but understandably thinking we would return to normal. The sobering reality of 2021 is coupled with genuine fatigue. And for many of us, the reality of lockdown or the possibility of lockdown looming is pretty much enough to shred your motivation and just straight up rattle your faith in humanity. Particularly as many of us look to other countries overseas opening up and putting on live events that so many of us are sorely missing. I personally will never forget that huge pang of envy I got seeing crowd shots of Download Festival in the UK And it's staggering how a few short weeks can make something previously commonplace seem so alien and out of reach. Obviously, here in Australia, we have been extremely fortunate for the majority of the pandemic and our low case numbers and deaths significantly pale in comparison to what we have seen happening beyond our shores. But it's probably this very fact that weighs heavy on us when we're currently sitting in this COVID situation that we're all experiencing together As a country, Australia had previously been seen as the quote-unquote gold standard for handling and dealing with the virus and its outbreaks, and quite swiftly our place on the world stage has devolved from golden child status to, in the words of many, a laughing stock as we seemingly sit left behind with regards to vaccination rates and 
very little to slim, firm or concrete roadmaps in place to lead us to recovery. While support is currently on offer for some states and areas, the true reality for many around the industry is that it's a bit of a rarity that organisations and bands would run or operate solely in one state. And regardless of whether you're in lockdown right now or not, we're seeing the true ongoing ricochet of, for example, New South Wales being shut down, seemingly ongoing with no end in sight. What if you're an artist manager living in Victoria, but your act is in Queensland? And sure, Western Australia can put on gigs, but how long can a local band keep playing to the same hometown crowds and venues? For my panel today, I posed the questions, where does our current COVID situation leave Australia and indeed the Australian music industry in relation to the rest of the world? What do we need to do to get our music industry and particularly the live sectors back up and running? And what elements, for example, we've seen overseas vaccination passports and pilot events and the like that are being tested and implemented elsewhere could potentially be adapted or trialled here in Australia to help us kickstart or even shape a roadmap out of this uncertainty? What's needed and what should be done? What are our biggest roadblocks? Here's what my experts had to say. When we lost the ability to go to gigs, she responded by setting up a streamed festival on social media. Emily Ullman, Managing Director of Isolade and Programmer of the Brunswick Music Festival. Uh, an effective vaccine rollout program would be number one. I think, um, yeah, I think just the slow vaccine rollout and the kind of mixed messaging about which which vaccines and who and when, and but also just, I think, um, vaccine hesitancy is so high here in Australia because the messaging is just not not cutting through and really the only way we're going to see some sort of semblance of normalcy resume is being the population being predominantly vaccinated so that's essentially like that's the main hold up and that's the main thing we can take from other countries so we're you know we're looking we were as you said the gold standard for um yeah for our our low rates of COVID, but then now you look to the states and Europe and they're opening up and they're at, you know, they're at events without wearing, you know, without masks on, et cetera. And it's like, where what are we doing back here? A dynamic force behind recent research and advocacy for the value of arts and creativity, Adrian Collette, CEO of the Australia Council. Well, I think the vaccine thing is going to be really interesting to see play out. Um, I've been talking to my colleagues in the UK and, you know, Delta is a terrible thing. They are much further along the vaccination path. They've opened up, but a lot of audiences are now scared <laughs> because of the virulence of this particular strain. So vaccination in, in itself isn't a kind of passport, but plays a very significant part. And in all the research, you know, we've been doing this outlook monitor research at, Oz, at OSCO and also with the state agencies. And we got to that point not long ago where, where audiences weren't actually concerned about contracting COVID. They were more concerned about lockdowns and cancellations. But at the moment we're picking up, they're starting to be concerned now about COVID because of this, this different strain. Vaccination is a key part of it. I think, uh, and getting money into people's hands is a key part of it. So we've seen some steps. I'm sure we'll see some more as, as the days and weeks go on. But I think the big thing is, you know, we've heard lots of um, talk about business interruption insurance and 
Uh, I don't know whether it, it is that, but what is going to give the risk takers that drive our industry, <laughs> you know, whether you're a theatre company or doing a gig, for a small, it's the risk takers that drive our industry. So what is going to give them the confidence to invest again? So, you know, things like the RISE Fund, which I know didn't suit everyone, but that's a couple of hundred million dollars invested. I think there's probably 150 million of that's gone, gone out. But what we were seeing, the good news in that, was that people were given the courage to invest in something new and the people who were getting employed, so, you know, there were 90 to 100,000 people in the three batches who were back on the payroll or going to be employed through RISE, and there were all the sole traders, the casuals, the independent workers who, as you say, were the kind of first off. So if you can create the activity, that seems to be happening, but it's giving people confidence to reinvest, you know, if they have the wherewithal to do it, what is going to... So I don't pretend to have the answer to that here, but it is being thought about. There's no question. In charge of two of Australia's most important live music venues and Powderfinger member, John J.C. Collins, owner of the Triffid and co-owner of the Fortitude Music Hall in Brisbane. For me, moving forward, I think what we'd like to see in the Queensland Health um, and and uh, and the Parliament up here is talking about how we can get musicians across borders in travel bubbles, much like sporting people do. Um, you know, we've been working. I've, I've applied for about three um, exemptions and haven't got one. You know, and there's a bit of work in that. You know, they I, I know they did it successfully in in South Australia with the um, summer festival, summer series festival early in the year. I know I have friends who did that and they were police escorted. You know, we've we've sort of offered up that as a solution. To our industry to just you know apply even if it's a certain amount of um, musicians we can get across in a month just so we can operate and still have shows and because that's that that's what will keep us in business yeah look I, for me I mean it is about getting everyone vaccinated right that's 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 to me and that's what the music industry needs um, I'm I'm not going to sit here and um, criticize anyone's personal rights I'm not interested in that um, but. There'll be a time, I think, what's been happening overseas in America particularly, that, you know, you probably need the vaccine to come to certain shows or do certain things. Um, I just think we should be able... We, we need to get everyone who wants to be vaccinated get get vaccinated. Um, I actually sent an email to Queensland Arts Queensland this morning. I've talked about it with Queensland Health about opening up the Fortitude Music Hall as a vaccination clinic. Uh, you know, in, in that would... Then my staff can help not, not do the jabs but help admin and keep them employed, maybe keep the Fortitude, you know... Submits, you know, a little bit of weight, rent or whatever it is, you know, might as well pay someone who's, who needs it than someone who doesn't in some building. And it's in the middle of this Fortitude Valley. And also the message for me is that, come on, young people, let's get vaccinated so we can get back to having some fun. You know, that, that's a really big message for me. Imagine VIP fans waiting for an Ian Moss sound check three hours before the show and being told not only won't it go ahead, but the gig is also cancelled. It happened to this man... PR guru and artist manager Chris O'Hearn. I, I look. I, I think it's kind of gone beyond what we can do for our our business, our industry now. I think we're talking about what we can do as a country and as a population. And the clear the clear thing that needs to happen is that the vaccination rollout needs to be faster, and everybody needs to get vaccinated as soon as possible. Now, I'm not one for 
you know, bashing up the governments. In fact, you know, I months ago I was sitting in a cafe and I saw uh, the, the New South Wales Premier who looked like, you know, she'd been to hell and back. Um, and I walked over to her when I finished my coffee and I just said, thank you. Because I think by and large, most of the politicians have got it as right as they can get it. Yes, there's been mistakes. There's no questions of that. But we are talking about a global pandemic. But, you know, the federal government, for, for, for what it's worth, they had two jobs. Quarantine, vaccination. It's not brain surgery. And, you know, they said, or the, the Prime Minister said, on more than one occasion, it's not a race. Now... I don't know. I'm no genius, but I would have thought that in the middle of a pandemic, when you're trying to save businesses, when you're trying to save people's incomes, when you're actually trying to save people's lives, and I'm not just talking about people dying from the, from, from the disease, I'm talking about people's mental state of mind and how many people do we know in our industry alone that have taken their own lives in the last 18 months. And if that's, and if that's not a fucking race... I don't know what is. It's an absolute disgrace and they should be, they should hang their heads in shame and they should be ashamed of themselves. Now, they've come out and they've gone, we're, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that. It's all too late in, in the sense that it should have happened months ago. And I think they have completely utterly dropped the ball. The state governments, I think they're doing the best they can. I think here in New South Wales presently, we are really under the pump. I think they could be doing more. Um, but I think, you know, the... The, the fast track out of this, I believe, is that people just need to get vaccinated. That Yes, there's risks with it, and we all know that, but I don't really see we've got a choice. And it's clear with the numbers of people who are picking up this disease currently in New South Wales, I haven't heard of one case who's one person who's contracted COVID out of the how many since early June that has, that has been vaccinated. And that's good enough for me. Yeah, but it's it's just something, you know, we have to do. And then, of course, you sort of wonder, well, you know, if you've got 80% of the population, and I think that's what most of the governments and the health officials are saying, the ones that you want to listen to, and I'm not talking about Alan Jones, by the way, um, and, and commentators like that, who frankly are just, they just want to stir the shit over here on the left, you know, or wherever. Um, but, you know, they've all said, um, you know, I think the figure is probably around about 80% that we can then start to probably look at living with this COVID, which is what other countries are doing at the moment. Now, they're, I guess, way below 80%, but we also have a less bigger, uh, less population. So, but I think, you know, we are way behind the vaccination rate and where we should be as a country. And I think that's unforgivable, given given where we were. A man who has actively sought to keep skills and business in the music industry throughout the pandemic, Dean Ormston, CEO of APRA MCOS. Look, absolutely. I think we need to be looking at every opportunity and assessing as to what might work in this territory. One of the things we were, we've been working on and, and got some success on a few months ago was um, through Sounds Australia, which is the music industry's export initiative that we, we co-fund with government and, and with ARIA, um, was going to Border Force to say the US market, who would have thought, has reopened quicker than we, we've reopened. So we need to help our, you know, superstar acts get out of Australia and get to the US market and the European markets to make the most of the summer touring circuit because that was all that's all hap has happened and is happening over there. Um, and, you know, to the government's credit, Border Force have been incredibly 
supportive and have helped fast-track visa arrangements for those acts that had the opportunity to get to the US market. And we've said, you know, these people are like the Olympians of the music industry and their time is now. And if you miss those tour opportunities, it's not just that tour and the dollars around it. It's an opportunity lost. And, and what will happen is that festival buyers will look to acts from other parts of the world to fill their festivals if we can't get there. So we absolutely need to look at, keep our eye on what's happening globally. I mean, we, we say unashamedly that we're one of the best um, music countries in the world. We should have our eye and, our, and looking to the opportunity of, of export because that drives everything domestically as well. So uh, keeping a, a real close eye on what's happening internationally is important for acts at that level. Um, but locally, we absolutely need to get our head around um, how do we, even in a staged way, start to reopen? And so at a state level, what does capacity mean, for instance? You know, and can we get agreement on policy that relates to large-scale outdoor sporting events, large-scale outdoor music events? Or even where the two combine, like recently the NRL at Suncorp Stadium in Queensland where 20,000 people there for an NRL match, great, that all went ahead, but the live music was deemed to be not COVID safe, so it didn't happen. Ridiculous. So we need to get policy settings at a state level right. Um, and all we're saying to, the, to state and federal governments is nobody's asking for something that's going to put people in danger, but you need to look at policy settings and apply them across our industry. So we think the policy settings, also identifying people as essential workers. So if, you, if part of your band is in Queensland, but you happen to be in Sydney, we've got an example of that at the moment, you're an essential worker, you need to be able to get to Queensland so you can you can you know, get on with the gig. So there's a lot of policy settings that aren't rocket science. It's more about getting people in the room and agreeing what we can agree. That, that will do a lot to rebuild people's confidence. And, and sort of like I was saying before, we, we really think confidence and capacity, the two words we want to keep driving home with governments now, um, and it's key to re, rebuilding the industry from, from the ground up. Um, and the other part that we're trying to explain to government is, these things, these parts of the industry don't operate in isolation. Your, your digital business, the success of Australian digital is on the back of live. They're, they're all interrelated. No one on this panel sells more tickets or relies on ticket sales more than Oztech CEO Brian Smash Cladill. I think the biggest single issue is the inability for promoters and venues to know with certainty what a roadmap is so we can plan and move ahead with certainty. Everything is always so uncertain that everybody who tries gets dis fails and gets disappointed and everyone who doesn't try is sitting back going, I, I don't know how long I can last on because I've got no income at all. So it's kind of like it's a very bad dark place, as I said before, and I think um, we need help, we need assistance, financial assistance, but we also need changes to the regulations so that like the sporting industry, the music business should have a plan to uh, should have a plan supported by government to be a, allow artists and musicians to be called essential workers and be allowed to move around and do their work. And yes, if cities in lockdown and the shows can't happen, that's fine. But at least those artists can continue on their tour and finish the tour. But but because they've been in a lockdown place, they can't see. So there's like yeah. this sort of um. It's like uh, we've got a hands tied behind our back and shackles on our feet as well, you know. It's mm. like double. 
You know, I know the ALMBC, which I'm part of, you know, the Live Music Business Council, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the essential worker status and whether we should have a permit system for musicians and they're being both investigated pretty heavily right now with some good um, some good knowledge and support behind it now to help get it push it through. But either of those options need the state CHOs to buy into it. And the problem is, you know, there's seven CHOs and eight CHOs in states and territories or whatever it is. And it's, you know, really hard to coordinate that sort of stuff. And it takes a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort, which we, of course, we, none of us have got because of the situation we're in. So it's yeah. sort of a, you know, it's a tough time. I'm not going to, not going to shit on your leg and call it a brown kitten. The driving force behind the Australian music industry's peak body for artist managers, Maggie Collins, Executive Director of the Association of Artist Managers. Well, that's the thing. Like the, the contemporary music industry has never needed handouts. We've never relied on being completely funded by someone else. You know, we're a really strong economy and all we've ever needed is just the ability to make money ourselves. And so obviously COVID has been such a huge um curveball with that so what yeah and this this difference between um the you know the the freedoms within the sports industry and other industries um it seems like it's been almost arbitrarily determined um i know obviously there's been chief health officers who have been involved in making those decisions and a lot of the sports events have been able to happen because they are outdoors and I totally get that. In fact, I love sports. I love going when I can, when it's safe. And I just wish that there was the same scientific common sense applied to uh, venues, like say a 200, cap a 200 capacity venue where you have, you know, everyone who's in the room, you've got their details, you can contact them really quickly because um, it's such a small amount of people and it's all contained. Yes, it is indoors and there's a concern with that but at least you can contact them um, really quickly and it's really well organised. Whereas in uh, sporting events, you know, you've got mingling of thousands of people coming into the venues and out of the venues and then going on the trains uh, and buses and everything. Um, and they're all in enclosed spaces when they get there. So, um, yeah, a bit more, uh, a, a bit more harmonisation between those policies is, is what's in order. I do think that maybe there's there is a less less of an urgency with policymakers to do that i think um maybe because they thought we'd be out of this by now and they wouldn't have to worry about those real um technical issues with health but um here we are so still dealing with it <laughs> yeah i mean um I, I like I like the idea of, you know, yeah, I have seen the festivals that have said, okay, here's your checklist of things that you need to get in here. You need to have, you know, your certification that you have been vaccinated in order to see this. And there are still some people out there who um, are not interested in getting vaccinated and, um, and uh, are pissed off about that because, uh, about the whole festival thing, because, you know, it's their right to not get vaccinated. It's like, it's not, no one's holding a gun to your head and telling you to go to a festival either. Um, you know, if you choose not to get vaccinated, then, um, you know, you, you can't expect to be allowed into a, 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 an event like this where you're going to be mingling with so many people. So, um, 
so I like I like those ideas um, of well that you know the policies involved in making sure that vaccination and and events there has to be some sort of um, you know yeah policies in place to to manage that um, but in terms of like Australia's place on the world stage I mean. We really rely on vaccinations. It turns out <laughs> we can't we can't function without that rollout. Um, it's so insanely important for everyone to get vaccinated. And I really love, like for example, um, Melbourne Symphony Orchestra did an awesome ad recently, um, using all of their resources and people in their community to put together this really charming ad, uh, encouraging people to get vaccinated so that they can get back on stage. And um, I think that's something that uh, it's going to be, you know, our responsibility too, to really encourage people to do that. The person who perhaps cut it finest of all in the industry and lost the most at the last second, Blues Fest Festival director Peter Noble. The only thing we can do as an industry is call on people to get vaccinated. That's the way out. There is no, like, hey, I'm, not, I'm okay. There's no way out. We're not okay. I call on our industry. I call on the media. I call, I call on artists. If you've got a photograph of yourself being vaccinated, get it up on Facebook. Let's start a campaign. The music industry supports vaccination, except for Ziggy Albers. Um, because if we don't, if we don't really get active in this, we're the most affected. You know, we can't just sit back and go, oh, yeah, look, you know, I'm going to wait for my Pfizer shot forever. AstraZeneca is not, is, you've got about as much chance of dying from getting a shot of AstraZeneca as being hit by lightning. That's statistically correct what I'm saying. We've got to get out there and say these things. My wife, who's younger than me, she's in her late 30s, she got a shot two weeks ago. You know, yes, she got flu-like symptoms for a day or two. And then she's running around harassing me as usual. My, my point being, you know, we can't be the Me Too generation here. It's not, you know, n nobody wants to infect your mum and dad. But if you're in the music industry, we want to go back to work. Get a jab. We'll get, that's how we'll get back to work. It's that simple. We have to go into quarantine for two weeks. And that is pretty much the killer. I, I, I think artists from Australia who are thinking about touring in the first three or four months of next year may find they don't have an ability to on a government level. Passport, passports and all that, yeah, it's in the future. But once we, you know, we're getting our Premier in New South Wales to say they want 80% fully vaccinated. America went back at 50 but they were opened at 50. A man who has witnessed the trail of destruction COVID has left in the live music industry as the head of the ALNBC and, of course, the impact on his own business, CEO of booking agency Select Music, Stephen Wade. But, yeah, I think there is a lot more that can be done. Personally, for me, uh, from an industry perspective, when we talk about government, I really believe the number one thing is a roadmap to recovery. They need to provide us 
with something because, Tiana, our industry is completely in the hands of health officials and government. Unlike, I don't know any other industry in Australia, we have no control over our industry. I can't decide if I want to put 50 bands out next weekend touring. I'm not allowed to because of government and health officials, which we understand. And as an industry, we've been respectful of. But if you are going to control our industry, and it's not their fault, they have to, but they are effectively in control of our industry, then you have to provide us with the roadmap. You have to tell us, the government have to tell the music industry how we get out of this and where and at what time. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing, the word roadmap is being used, but for us, it's an empty map. Like we have ideas. Yeah. When's when's 100% capacity for our industry, Tiana? Exactly. Exactly right. And I mean, another year. Yeah. And that's the reality. Like, because I think it was everyone just assumed like it'd be fine. It'd be over. We'd all be back to 100%, but we're not. So, yeah, the question is, now what? Well, it's funny that you just said about from the, you know, you don't want to say laughing stock. That's what I'd written down as far as our industry, right? When you say I'm going to use exactly the same. Look, I, I deal with overseas um, industry all the time. Managers of my artists live over there. Uh, and the general consensus across the board is that, yeah, Australia went from the gold standard, like leading the world, most people were looking at bringing their artists here first before they'd go and do anything. And everyone that I've spoken to internationally sees us as a laughingstock, right? Like, and and the reality is the results speak for themselves. Like you don't even have to give an explanation, right? I've got artists that are a very, very successful Australian artist who are booked for tours all across America, Europe, et cetera, um, but can't come to Australia to do shows. So that's, if someone was to say, how have we gone in comparison to the rest of the world, that's your answer. We're not even in comparison to the rest of the world because they are open for business and we are not. So how that happened and... How we work towards that, I think, you know, the like domestic border closures and things like that um, are, are really uh, pressured, like put a lot of pressure on the industry. It's not the number one issue as far as being able to have everyone travel kind of in a state. We need to address our venue capacities nationwide. Um, where we've taken the approach through the ALMBC that we're now using epidemiologists to work with the health officers in each state on our industry's behalf. So basically saying to them, you're using a scientific-based evidence to restrict our industry. We want to understand what that is, and we either want to refute it or we want to work with you based on why you feel there's so much danger, you know, in having a live music events. And, you know, I think it's important to point out that in 16 months there's never been a transmission of COVID in Australia at a live music event 
Now, that's not to say it can't happen. Of course it can happen. But what it shows is we were able to do thousands of events in the last 16 months without supposedly having a super spreader. However, if you were to use the same ideology, you shouldn't ever be able to go into a Westfield or a supermarket or anywhere else where there's been massive transmission of COVID. Responsible for two of Australia's largest festivals, Splendour in the Grass and Falls Fest, both cancelled during COVID, alongside running a label and management company, Paul Patico. I, I think, um, look, with, the, with the, the way the Delta variant is spreading and, 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 you know, its veracity, I think we have to consider that the primary goal to get things reopened, restrictions lifted, internal borders um, flowing as freely as they can, and then subsequent to that, international borders, is vaccination. And, um, you know, I, I think we started it off badly. I think the program is improving rapidly, and I believe there's more Pfizer coming. And now that the um, that you're going to see the GP and chemist roll out of vaccination, it's going to improve things. But between now and that point of uh, the, reaching that vaccination threshold, we've got a problem. We've got a big problem in our industry and, and it's a sustainability problem. It's not, we spent the last year as we were working through this crisis, talking about um, the government giving us ways to help us pull ourselves out of the hole, you know, travel bubbles and uh, restrictions and lifting uh, capacity densities and opening up domestic borders and so on, just so we could do more work to recover. I think now it's pretty evident that it's more about um, we can't do the work. We can't in, in whatever capacity. So I think there's more of a need now, more sense of urgency for some kind of some kind of rescue package for the live sector, um, whether it's a simulation of JobKeeper or, um, or however, it's something to that effect needs to be done in the, you know, imminently. For our, for our sector, I think I agree with you. I think uh, you, we need something for, you know, over the course of the next six to nine months, uh, some kind of package for our sector. Because as um, lockdowns lift and other businesses like a, a restaurant or cafe or a pub or whatever, they can get back to work fairly quickly. It doesn't work that way with the live music business. So, Federal Minister for the Arts, who on the day we spoke to him, handed out another round of RISE grants, the Honourable Paul Fletcher. What we need to do is get Australia out of this, and that's important for every industry, for our whole society, for our whole economy. But clearly, live performance, be it music or other kinds of live performance, is amongst the most severely affected sectors, alongside you know, aviation and tourism um, and, and a couple of other sectors, like, for example, agricultural shows. I mean, they're there are some particular sectors of our economy which have been very significantly affected. And there's no doubt that, um, that entertainment and particularly uh, live music and other forms of live productions do face a very uh, particular challenge. And so we're very focused on how do we get Australia out of this situation? It's all about the vaccines. And we're driving really hard. Uh, just the day before yesterday, we had the first day in which more than 200,000 injections were given around the country. We're now at a million a week and we're pushing to get that higher. 
And of course, we're seeing a lot of Australians, including younger Australians, make their own decisions after, for example, consulting with their GPs to say, well, if AstraZeneca is available, I'm going to go and get it. I'm going to understand the risks and I'm going to make that decision. And we certainly welcome Australians, including younger Australians, uh, investigating what the issues are and making their own decisions. Um, and I'm aware that there are people, quite a few people, leaders in the music sector and the art sector more generally who are saying, listen, we need to have a system where if you're vaccinated, you can come into a gig, you can get into a venue, and if you're not, you can't. Uh, interestingly, uh, Rachel Healy, who is the director of the Adelaide Festival, and she's also on the Creative Economy Task Force, which I set up to advise me last year on how we get through the pandemic uh, in terms of its impact on the arts sector. Rachel's in Europe at the moment, uh, looking at potential shows for the Adelaide Festival for next year. Spoke to her the other day. She's been to uh, a bunch of shows in France, Germany, other countries, and in several countries in Europe, she said that's, that's how it operates. To get into a venue, uh, you've got to, you know, do the bag check for security, uh, you've got to show your ticket, and then you've got to um, show your proof of vaccine. So she's certainly arguing that that's something we should look at in Australia. And I think the music industry and the performance uh, industry in general, live performance, has some uh, really important perspectives on these issues. So I'd encourage industry leaders to keep making the points they're making uh, to Commonwealth government, to state and territory governments, because uh, we've all got a shared interest in getting through this as quickly as possible, but also working out what are the protocols uh, so that we can get back to the most normal uh, ways of operating, including uh, having Australians have the normal opportunity to go and see great Aussie performers on stage doing what they do so well. What the Prime Minister has said is that uh, through National Cabinet, there's a lot of work being done on exactly what that number should be. So we're getting detailed advice from uh, expert uh, public health um, institutions. Uh, we're also getting detailed advice from Treasury about the economic uh, aspects of this. And that'll be worked through by the Prime Minister and the Premiers and Chief Ministers in National Cabinet so that we've got a clear national target. Um, and in turn, that'll be important because Australians are really doing what they need to do and coming forward in big numbers to get vaccinated. And we expect we'll see those numbers continue to rise strongly. Uh, but clearly, if there's greater clarity on what the target is we're all shooting for, that'll be an even bigger motivating factor. Perhaps the only person who decided on a career switch into the music business in the past 12 months, new ARIA head, Annabelle Hurd. <laughs> Look, vaccine is 100%, you know, getting people vaccinated, getting our younger, you know, audiences vaccinated, which they obviously can't at the moment, is going to be so critical to opening up again. I mean, I would just say, you know, it's torturous to be a music fan or in the industry here and see, see shows and festivals and things going ahead overseas. Granted, you know, they're still finding their way a bit, like how is this exactly going to work? Um, the biggest problem is going to be, or one of the biggest problems is going to be bringing international acts into Australia over the next 12 months because, you know, they've still got a quarantine for two weeks, which costs a fortune. It's not just, you know, the, the members of the band, it's their whole entourage, 
not only have they got to pay for the quarantine costs, but they've got to pay wages for their crew who are sitting around doing nothing. They've got to give up two weeks of their lives to sit in a hotel room or, you know, somewhere in Australia. And then once they get here, there's absolutely no guarantee that they can actually conduct a tour. Why on earth would any international artist agree to come to Australia at the moment when they can work overseas perfectly, you know, pretty much perfectly easily? So I think, and that's a huge challenge because that means that we don't have those acts to bring our younger artists up to highlight them on the on the festival stages to have those breakthrough acts um it and it just makes the economics of it all very very challenging that really it really worries me you know what all of this means for the next generation of australian artists leading australian artist and influential voice in explaining to governments the plight of artists at the beginning of the pandemic alex Leahy. i think it just all comes down to the vaccination rollout i think like the moment that that um we were not reaching um standards and quotas with the vaccination rollout is the moment that we realize that we are in fact not the gold standard of um of you know handling this pandemic i hear you know all this talk about the idea of vaccine of, of like part vaccination passports to get into venues and all this kind of stuff moving forward and how we can sort of fast track that but the reality is is that none of those things can happen until there is a significant amount or you know a vast majority amount of our population that is vaccinated fully like double dose vaccinated and that is just still such a long way off and it you know that's the first piece of the puzzle and i just think that once that is sorted out we are going to be able to strategize and figure out exactly what the next step is in order to get you know people in venues get artists on stage um get you know people at festivals all these kinds of things um and you know whatever the strategy may be we can't do it until there that we have those significant numbers. Um, so yeah, I think it just all comes down to that. And I think that the federal government has a lot to answer for um, with how poorly this rollout has 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 been carried out. Um, and I, um, you know, and I think that to be honest, like our state governments have done kind of everything they can, like from their perspective. And um, you know, I think it's really time that they're is some accountability taken with that and um the reality is, is that nothing can move forward until that first step is taken and you know the countries that we're seeing open up a little bit more it's because of that like that's the common thread so yeah other countries it's also about artists getting back in you know um it needs to be financially viable and it needs to be fiscally it needs to be a fiscally responsible decision to make and at this point with the way that our the hotel quarantine uh, situation is all set up and the fact that there is no alternative to that means that it's not financially viable for people to go to a, not because they're going to lose money on the shows when they go overseas, but because they're going to be losing thousands of dollars and they're trying to get back in the country. Um, and so by that point, like, um, why why would you come back? And, why, and, and, and if you can't make the money back here in your home market, then, like, what's the point? And I think it's also important to consider, like, we want to, you know, we want to galvanise our talent to come back and to invest in our own markets as well. Like, we don't want to be losing out opportunities to have our best and brightest artists play within, like, in our own territory because it's too expensive and not worth it to come back. Someone all too familiar with losing festivals and the nightmare that comes with that territory while also supporting live music as a board member at the ALMBC. Director of Untitled Group, Nicholas Greco. 
Yeah, the, the lack of travel exemptions um, makes it really difficult. We're, we've just recently cancelled a festival that's supposed to take place in Queensland next week. Um, and half the lineup was from New South Wales. The other half was from Victoria. So we, we couldn't physically get any of the artists into Queensland. So we had to cancel that event. Um, but equally as devastating is the capacity restrictions and just the lack of a roadmap or a date when they expect everyone to be vaccinated. Just some firm timeline that we can work towards. Yeah, it's, it's actually crazy. We've gone from the gold standard to like the laughing stock overseas. All the agents and managers I speak to, they can't believe that we've just gone through our fifth lockdown here in Victoria when our case numbers are so low. I think for us to be able to get out of this, we just need to have this vaccination target. And we need to know, is it 50%, is it 75%? A rough date we can get there and then we can work backwards from there we can pause costs we can delay payments we can work around things and adjust our events to plan i think um i think the business the government really needs to focus on business interruption funds there's a real lack of confidence from event producers to actually put an event out because anyone who's tried in the last 15 months has been seriously burnt there's there's no one who's walked away from putting an event on and it's been a major success so to to turn us back into that events capital, we need some support or we need some assistance from the government that when we do put an event on and there is a lockdown, we're not going to be left holding the bag at the end. Yeah, yeah I, I think as well, the, um, the marketing campaign for the vaccination rollout has been pretty shocking. So, you know, I think the government really needs to encourage that 18 to 30 year old demographic who traditionally are the biggest demographic to go to events. They need some encouragement and some assurance around the vaccine rollout. So I think a bit of um, a change in tactic from the government there, or even engage our industry to help. Like we, we know that audience, we deal with that market, we can help get vaccines in arms through our demographic. Shadow Minister for the Arts, huge music fan and part-time muso, the Honourable Tony Burke. Um, look, the, the big thing now, I, I think you need you need to sort of look at it in terms of what do we need to have the workers to see them through, the artists and the workers to see them through during this time? And secondly, what do we need to allow the promoters to be willing to take on risk? And if you get those two things right, then we've got a pathway through. Uh, and so for for the artists and the workers and everybody uh you know, through the road road crew and, you know, people working in bars at venues, effectively we need to have a form of JobKeeper that that uh, everybody will be eligible for. Um, now, the government, at the moment, they're still saying no to it, but, look, when we first called for a wage subsidy last year, they were saying no to it. They were describing it as dangerous. So they might be saying, no, I'm not giving up. And so we'll keep fighting for a, a wage subsidy because... Yeah, the government at the moment, they say, oh, no, but we're still giving these payments and these payments are still going out. But if you have a think of how JobKeeper versus a payment worked at, um, at venues. So last year, for example, uh, while the social distancing rules were still pretty tough, I was able to go, for example, one of the first gigs I went to was at Lazy Bones in Marrickville. And um, it was... Um, uh, Tasman Keith and Alex the Astronaut were, were playing. And it would not have been commercial because of social distancing rules. But the venue could make it work because JobKeeper meant people already had their wages being paid and they could just bring them in. Um, and 
you know, you know, and look, it was all it was all pretty posh. You didn't have to queue up at the bar. The drinks got brought to you. You had your meal, all of that. It wasn't a bad old experience. <laughs> um, and, and something similar at a venue in Newtown when I saw Polish Club, uh, the, to have so few people at a venue would normally not be commercial, but by having the wages covered through JobKeeper, they could start the gigs happening again and people could start working again. Uh, whereas now, because it's being paid through Centrelink, that money is just between the individual and the government. You can't be brought in to work on that. And that's going to mean it's it's a much slower take-up for people to be able to get back to work. And, you know, as that happens, uh, it means the opportunities for artists will be fewer, the opportunities for people... Uh, like me, who just want to go and 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 see something live, uh, will be will be few and far between. And for workers, it means, you know, sure you might be getting the same amount of cash, but if you're not occasionally getting into the workplace, if you're not keeping that relationship with the employer, um, it all becomes much harder to pick up the pieces at the other end. So, I think that's the that's the part that we need for the workforce. The two things I think would make a huge difference, JobKeeper, because what that would mean for people connected to venues would be huge. Uh, you know, they'd, they'd do some redesign of it, that's fine, but that concept. And secondly, to have an insurance fund or a business interruption fund that would encourage businesses to take risks again. Um, I reckon we will end up down that sort of pathway uh, and a few of the premiers and uh, have sort of flagged they'll get to a point when they can have that discussion. But here's the problem. Because we are so far behind on the vaccine and because people with the vaccine can still spread it, they spread it less, but they, they can still spread the virus. If you had a major festival with only vaccinated people, it's odds on most of them would leave being able to spread the virus. Um, most of them wouldn't know they had it because the uh, they wouldn't have symptoms because they'd been vaccinated. Um, but that then means when they leave the festival, they'll spread it to an Australia that is largely unvaccinated. And the risk with all of this has always been if we overload our public uh, overload our hospitals, because you'll get enough people if you get a mass spreading event who weren't vaccinated, who end up in intensive care. And even if you are vaccinated, if you have a car accident and intensive care is full, the fact that you're vaccinated doesn't help you. Intensive care is already full. So a whole lot of these things that we're seeing overseas, I reckon we'll end up there. But with pathetically low rates of vaccination, that's what's holding us back at the moment. So until we get a really significant percentage, and I don't know what the magic number is, but I know coming effectively last in the developed world means we're a long way from it. Uh, means we're going to continue to see on our screens people wearing masks, going to gigs, uh, enjoying themselves, and we have gone from being the nation that everybody talks about being really smart and handling this well to being the nation that people say we're lucky we're not them. Uh, you know, when I saw that Foo Fighters concert on the TV, like last year I would have presumed that if Foo Fighters were going to perform anywhere in the world, it was going to be here at, at Splendour or Falls or something like that, that they, they would have got them in. Um, it never occurred to me that New York could get them before we did. 
Stick around after this short break as our COVID-19 industry roundtable soldiers on. Back after this. Hi everyone, Beck Privatelli from the GWS Giants here. I'm an Aussie rules diehard, but you won't find a better sports podcast than the take with NRL legend Willie Mason and some bloke called Ian. Join Willie and that other bloke every week as he takes you through everything happening in the sports world and sorts your tips out. GWS for the win, obviously. Check out all episodes of The Take presented by the Handshake Agency Network via thepodcasts.com.au. As we've heard just now from around the industry, some of the largest concerns for many undeniably is the vaccination issue in Australia and the discrepancies between industries with regards to support and or exemptions catered specifically to needs and operations, which brings us ultimately to the glaringly obvious question moving forward. What is the future outlook for the Australian music industry? With so many cancellations and rescheduling and postponements being the ongoing bane of existence for so many in the industry at the moment, there's obviously a lot of short-term impacts for the entire sector and live events are just hurting exponentially at this point. International acts coming to Australia obviously continues to be a topic with endless debate and we do touch on that with JC here shortly. But in addition to when we can reopen our international borders, predominantly our panel and myself turned our gaze a bit closer to home. With so many of the Australian music industry's significant calendar events looming over the short and longer term future, for example, Blues Fest, Laneway Festival, Splendour in the Grass, Falls Festival, and even the Arias ceremony later this year, what is the likelihood of any of these events happening in the near future with a crowd in attendance? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I honestly don't know. Like, it's it's so hard to pick. Like, I know that I do, I do understand that winter is a particularly hard time. Like, you know, and it will be interesting to see what happens, like, when winter rolls around in the Northern Hemisphere as well, you know, just because it's naturally flu season, you know, and that's kind of what we're dealing with. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, again, I think it's going to have to come down to those the vaccination rates, like, I also think that, like, maybe there's an opportunity to incentivize people to get vaccinated, like, you know, by using these events as kind of fodder to do it. I don't know if there's enough time to get there. Who knows? It's just so out of uh, out of our control, unfortunately. Um, well, at least, like, out of the control of people like you and me. But, um, yeah, I mean, maybe there is an opportunity to use those festivals and those opportunities as a way to incentivize people to go and get vaccinated. but as to whether or not they're going to happen, I mean, like, I'd love for, for them to happen and for them to be safe environments for people to go and have fun and, you know, do what they love. Um, but if it's not going to be safe, then they shouldn't happen. But if it is, maybe there's an opportunity to, you know, to get people to double down on getting vaxxed and, you know, and that will then have a really great flow on effect for local touring. I can't even I can't even answer that question at the moment. Today is probably the worst day to ask me that question. You know, record. I'm so sorry. Busy. <laughs> yeah, of what course. I can what I can say is that we will have a really good hard look at the best way to recognize the nominees and the you know winners, the best talent that's come through this year. Um, we, we'll just look at the best way to both recognize that, but also get those um, artists, the public exposure that comes from, you know, being recognised with an ARIA award. I don't know what's going to happen to the event at this stage. Obviously, 
you know, November is far away in one sense, but not far away in others. Um, but look, we've got some exciting changes to the awards this year that hopefully we'll be able to announce, which are which are around sort of evolving the areas to be better for the current sort of industry and the way things are at the moment. But um, yeah, look, fingers crossed. It's it's going to be very difficult for these events and any events to go ahead. Um, I think for them to go ahead, we need to know when we can when we can open up, what the restrictions will be so we can plan for these events. And large festivals, major gatherings, they take you know, up to 12 months to plan. So with, without knowing, we can't really plan for that. If the events go ahead, they'll be in different formats. There'll be restrictions, social distancing, you know, maybe we'll have vaccination passports, but we just don't really know right now. I think nothing's going to happen until we get our com- the community gets majority vaccinated. That's the end of story. There's, there's no chance that the state CHOs are going to allow touring and mass gatherings until there's some serious level of vaccination um, because of the fear of transmission. And, you know, we, we're no different to a sporting match or a mass gathering for a sporting match, but somehow they've managed to be allowed to have 30,000, 40,000 people in a stadium, but we're not allowed to have 500 people in a pub. I don't understand that, where the science behind that is. But anyway, um, until there's some kind of serious majority vaccination, you know, everyone's just going to remain out of work. We're going to, you know, we're all going to have to work really hard to keep our people, our colleagues supported and alive and, you know, so we get through it because... We're already seeing shortages of staff, bar managers, security people, people like that. They've already left the industry, you know, because they have to. They've got to go and find work. When the, when the business bounces back, one of the biggest challenges is going to be finding people to work in the music business. I think the fans have been really good, actually. I think the fans, even though we all know there's massive, like, lack of consumer confidence, I think the fans have been really great in trying to support the artist by buying tickets. And even when you know, you know, buying a ticket to a show is pretty much a gamble, whether the show is going to happen or not. And um, it's like gambling. You might as well, you know, we might as well have a punt, see if it happens. We might be allowed to go. That'll be fun. But, you know, really, until there's some kind of roadmap of, okay, here's the plan and this is what we're sticking to and this is how it's going to be. But the other thing is for promoters, if you want people to put money in, like I I mean, I know Blues Fest haven't made an announcement about the October, um, about October Blues Fest, but, you know, they cancelled last year. They had to cancel this year at Easter. Um, Splendour had to go go online. Um, Woodford Laneway falls, everything that we're looking forward to summer. You've got to be putting big question marks over it at, at the moment as to what will be possible. Um, yeah. I hope I want them all to go ahead as soon as they can. But ultimately, the challenge is, like, for us, we might buy our tickets and then not really think too much about the festival other than making sure we've got our tent organised until it's closer to the date. But if you're a promoter, you're putting big money in and taking a risk. Now, you'll take the risk as a promoter based on, well, yeah, will people like the artists that I've got? Will people buy the tickets? Uh, will it be bad weather? Those sorts of risks promoters are willing to take. But if it could get right up to the day before and then the government could pull the pin on it, then it's completely out of their control and at that point they've got to pay the artists and refund the tickets and pay the workers who've set up the marquees 
like Blues Fest this year was the day before. Um, and, and so I don't see how we can get promoters to take on the risk again and all the jobs and music that flows from that unless we've got an insurance fund. Now, the government's been saying no to the insurance fund, but you've got to remember they established one for the film industry. So if you're making a big Hollywood film on the Gold Coast or Sydney or Melbourne or wherever you might be making or there's some more action happening in WA these days as well, um, if COVID means that suddenly you've got to freeze production and you lose a whole lot of money, there's a government insurance fund that takes care of you in that risk. Uh, now, imagine for festival organisers or for people organising tours if you could get an insurance fund for live entertainment. It would completely change that. They'd still be taking on risk, like all of these events always involve a level of risk, but not the risk that completely kills an event that could happen the day before or the day of that's, that you've got no control over whatsoever. So um, I reckon we will end up down that sort of pathway uh, and a few of the premiers and uh, have sort of flagged they'll get to a point when they can have that discussion. But here's the problem. Because we are so far behind on the vaccine and because people with the vaccine can still spread it, they spread it less, but they, they can still spread the virus. If you had a major festival with only vaccinated people, it's odds on most of them would leave being able to spread the virus. Um, most of them wouldn't know they had it because uh, they wouldn't have symptoms because they'd been vaccinated. Um, but that then means when they leave the festival, they'll spread it to an Australia that is largely unvaccinated. And the risk with all of this has always been if we overload our public uh, overload our hospitals, because you'll get enough people if you get a mass spreading event who weren't vaccinated, who end up in intensive care. And even if you are vaccinated, if you have a car accident and intensive care is full, the fact that you're vaccinated doesn't help you. Intensive care is already full. So a whole lot of these things that we're seeing overseas, I reckon we'll end up there. But with pathetically low rates of vaccination, that's what's holding us back at the moment. So until we get a really significant percentage, and I don't know what the magic number is, but I know coming effectively last in the developed world means we're a long way from it, uh, means we're going to continue to see on our screens people wearing masks, going to gigs, uh, enjoying themselves and we have gone from being the nation that everybody talks about being really smart and handling this well to being the nation that people say we're lucky we're not them. Uh, yeah, when I saw that Foo Fighters concert on the TV, like last year I would have presumed that if Foo Fighters were going to perform anywhere in the world, it was going to be here at, at Splendour or Falls or something like that, that they, they would have got them in. Um, it never occurred to me that New York could get them before we did. Well, one thing is for certain is that nobody knows anything. <laughs> so, and you know, I've just, I've had meetings already with um, people who lead these events and, um, uh, and agents that have multiple bands invest, invested in, in so many diff different festivals and opportunities. And everyone's just like, we just don't know at this point. But I do think that um, outdoor events at least have an advantage. They have some hope that they will be able to work in some capacity going into summer. But um, 
but there's a lot of buts there. There's a lot of, um, you know, how is the vaccination rollout going to go? Um, you know, it, then when half the population is finally vaccinated, what does that mean for the other half that aren't? Um, and so therefore, also in having an outdoor event and having COVID policies involved in that, how many extra costs are going to involve, be involved for the promoters? And will they be able to justify the costs? And will they be able to put them on at all? So, you know, there are all those things to consider for outdoor shows um but we've already lost you know um big sound got cancelled uh it's not i mean there are some elements of big sound that are outdoors but you know th this is just how badly we're going backwards you know I, I just don't think that at the start of last year we would even be considering that by september this year an event that's happening then like a, a, a key event um could not go ahead in the end we it's starting to look like we've got another three or four months of real difficulty in front of us. I wouldn't be betting on major events happening up till Christmas now. Um, look, Victoria came back. Are you in Victoria? I'm in Sydney at the moment, start in lockdown well, in my tracky pants. <laughs> Victoria came back. hundred people can go to events. A mm. hundred. You can't open your venues at that. That's like saying... Why not just tell the truth? You, you know, we, 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 you can't open right now. Sydney, do, do you really think that after another three or four weeks of lockdown, if you get on top of this, that the government's going to turn around to all the venues and go, you can now open at 100% capacity? Mm. It's not going to happen. No. So everyone that's hoping and dreaming that things will get back to normal in a month or two, it's going to take government, they're going to take the precautionary principle, they're going to take months before they will allow our industry to open. It's just another serious body blood. You know, we've really, really got to try to get through this. Here I am sitting on the, at the end of July with a festival a couple of months away. Um, am I confident it's going to happen? Well, only if a miracle occurs. And I don't believe in miracles. If we have to bloody well reschedule 20 times, we're going to do it because we're going to be there on the day that this can happen, putting live music back and employing our industry again. That's where I come from. Now, others may have a different way of doing it, and I have no criticism for that, but I will bring my industry back. And you know what we find at Blues Fest? Every time we, we reschedule, the bill gets stronger. Mm. Mm. Look at that, you know, having Midnight Oil come. And if you only knew other artists who were talking with me already about next Easter, even though we're hoping that's not part of a reschedule, that's just the way it is because what Midnight Oil said to me, what John Watson said, was, hey, Peter, you guys were always a great event, but the way you handled that reschedule, that cancellation, you became a legendary event. And we're going to continue doing that. Pardon me doing a little bit of sell on my company, but... But overall, we're going, to, we're going to be there and we're going to have the best event of Australian artists Australia's ever seen because that's what we have to do. We, we, we can't let this get us down. But as far as, you know, where we go into the future, I think they would now all realise at both federal and state level, our industry is in a crisis far worse than it was a year ago when we were shut. Uh, and it will continue for years to come. We've lost 
huge amounts of uh, people, skilled people who can do certain jobs that won't be replaceable when we do reopen full, uh, to full capacities. Um, we've lost people to other industries. Um, we've just lost people, you know, that just can't afford to live on nothing, you know. So we're going to have a lot of challenges when we come out of this industry. So it's important that we've done this groundwork. I know through developing ALMBC, you know, we've managed to, to have some really positive, constructive discussions at federal level and at state level and get an understanding of what we need to provide as an industry, you know, to, to help us moving forward. I, I like to think that the ARIAs is going to happen for mainly selfish reasons because I want to go and, and have a drink yeah. with my friends from the music industry. Well-deserved. Yeah, like so... I, I would love to think that it could happen and it's probably a better chance because it's a seated event. Uh, it's a little easier for them to meet COVID protocols. Music festivals for this year, I would say next to no chance. I, I personally can't see uh, any state health department um, green lighting them. Western Australia, yes, they, they don't have those issues over there. Uh, but the issue they face is none of the artists can go over to play there from the East Coast while the border's shut. So it's, again, it shows you the complexity of our national industry and how you can have a state that can 100% put a festival on but may still not be able to because the rest of the country can't go there. Uh, not the rest of the country, the, you know, the artists and crew and, and those other people. So, um, you know, I think when there's the analogy between sport and our industry, a lot of people have to remember that, you know, it's a lot easier for a sport to go to a government, have discussions, take one set of rules and go back and everyone in that sport, the NRL, the AFL, the cricket, knows what they have to do for that sport to continue. Our industry is so big, so diverse uh, and so many players it's very hard for us to work out those protocols. So that's what we're hoping through the ALMBC and other organisations that we can work towards a protocol so that there's an understanding, best practice, and something that if we need to go into state as an industry, we can work through that. Um, but when you break it down to the basics, Tiana, 40,000 people in a space, right, at one stage or another, they're going to be right jammed in against each other, right? So the logic of a sporting event as opposed to a dancing event, you know, or a live music event, I can't believe there'd be any science that would say they're different, right? Because you jump on your friends at a sporting event, you scream out, you hug people you don't know, you high-five people you don't know, right? That sounds like a music festival to me. Inevitably, any discussion about the impacts of COVID-19 and the seemingly never-ending cycle of lockdowns or potential for lockdowns and restrictions, and for most of us, the gaping hole that the lack of live music has left, well, it does lend itself very naturally to the mental health side of things as we all continue to weather the proverbial storm raging around us right now. Obviously, funding and financial support is a massive precursor to a lot of worry and stress for many in the industry, but 
Even beyond the music industry, we've all seen it recently. People are well and truly seemingly reaching breaking point just all over the place. Whether we're seeing the protests that recently sparked around the country, it is undeniably a tough time whether you're in or surrounding the music industry or not. And not one of us has come this far without a heartbreaking story or two to tell as a result of the pandemic. But with these struggles also comes some unpredicted opportunities for growth and learning. And that all ties in with the importance and impact on mental health as well. To close out part two of this COVID music industry special, I spoke with my panel about some of the lessons they've learned during lockdown or restrictions, the impact the situation has had on their mental health and their colleagues around the industry, and just some final thoughts about how we can all best get through this together. Um, to be honest, I, I think um, it's great that punters are still supporting us and buying tickets, even though they, they probably shouldn't be if they weren't so emotionally involved in music, which is great. But the biggest thing is I feel for the little businesses who, you know, may not have the capacity to survive. If this virus just keeps dragging on and on and we can't get on top of the vaccination so a lot of people aren't going to make it and I guess I just wanted to say if anyone's listening you know who's feeling threatened or scared about their future or if you're down in the dumps reach out to your colleagues or your peers or at least call support act they're a fantastic organization and they're here to, here to help you if you're struggling so give them a call well I think you know this is just a big call out for our priorities being vaccination. We need, uh, I mean, that's like the ultimate end goal. But in the meantime, we need crisis relief on a national scale. Um, the the state-by-state state relief packages are awesome uh, for people in there, but also like the idea of competitive grants is really difficult for people. Um, agents, managers and musicians alike, everyone is just exhausted and the morale is so low the mental health is really dangerously being challenged at the moment across the board um, we need to have some crisis support uh, on a national basis um, something that doesn't require so much work and coordination and for the prospects that it might not even get approved I think like that's vaccination and the fun and the yeah support uh, the two most important things at the moment. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I can say. But a big shout out to all my amazing managers that I know and um, that I represent at the AAM. Uh, they're doing incredible work and yeah, we'll get through it. As head of Support Act, guest Clive Miller has perhaps held the most important role in the live music business in the past year, allocating and dishing out funds to the music communities who need it most. Look, I, I'm going to say yes, because, you know, really, you know, we will and, you know, we'll get through this and, um, and, and, you know, things will get back to some kind of new normal. But, um, you know, as part of that journey, um, there's a lot of despondency. There's a lot of, um, you know, just a, you know, a great sense of, um, uh, resignation, I suppose, and uh, certainly in, in the last couple of weeks, I noticed particularly people reaching out to the Support Act Wellbeing Helpline, there was a sense of futility and a, a, a loss of resilience. I think there was a sense that somehow people were just like, oh, you know, not again, I just can't do this. Um, but 
you know, I, I guess what happens is that once people work through those, you know, initial uh, feelings of, 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 of futility that are completely understandable, um, you know, the, the next phase of that is to actually, well, think, well, what can I do? You know, what, what do I have to do? And so, you know, I think we'll, we'll all continue to, you know, work through those different feelings and, and, uh, and, you know, hopefully we'll still be standing, you know, when, uh, you know, when, when we get into the recovery phase and, and through the recovery phase and, and, you know, get back to doing what we love. So, yeah, I I, I'm optimistic and confident that that's where we'll end up, but it's just going to take a bit of time to get there. Look, I just really obviously like to encourage anybody that um, uh, is struggling financially to reach out to us for uh, crisis relief, uh, to apply for either a music keeper or crew keeper grant. Uh, bearing in mind, you know, it is, uh, we do have, um, you know, a bit of a backlog at the moment. So it's taking a few weeks for us to turn uh, the applications around, but don't be put off by that. We will uh, get to you and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, sooner, um, sooner than that where we can. And the other thing is just that I would encourage people on the mental health front that um, the Support Act Wellbeing Helpline is an invaluable resource if you want to talk to somebody about any aspect of your mental health or wellbeing. Uh, the people on the end of that line are trained uh, psychologists who not only provide uh, a, a, a kind of a shoulder to, to kind of lean on, um, they're uh, but they, you know, they, they're really constructive in the way that they can help uh, all of us kind of work through issues, whether in relation to anxiety, depression, um, loneliness, uh, financial concerns, career concerns, uh, really whatever you would like to talk about. So that number is 1-800-959-500. And we're offering um, at the moment uh, just uh, there's a range of uh, resources that are available on our website. We've got uh, workshops and uh, mental health first aid training and, and all sorts of things that uh, we'd really just invite people uh, to, uh, to, to um, have a look at and uh, participate in where, where they feel it's appropriate. Uh, look, if I can think of some performers I've seen, uh, Electric Fields, um i've seen them probably two or three times um most most i think uh within the last 18 months i would have seen them great aussie performers um so they would certainly stand out um but look we've got so many great uh aussie acts and of course what we want to do is um see them get out uh get out there as quick as possible i, I had the chance to see uh, Diesel perform um, at an industry event about halfway through last year. And it's great to see, uh, you know, Aussie performers like that who've, you know, he's been in the industry for well over 30 years. I think he's probably about the same age as me. So um, uh, on the more mature end of the spectrum, you wouldn't know that from seeing him perform, I hasten to add. Um, and I hope I haven't um, damages his credibility with any of his fans by mentioning that. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, we've got some phenomenal, phenomenal performers. Um, and, of course, what we want to do is see them get back out on stage as quickly as possible. That's why we're committing so much funding now and uh, helping support promoters to get their shows 
on the road and that way we can get our Aussie performers out there and we can get Australians out, able to see them again. You know, um, uh, try to um, tell everybody to look after their, you know, their mental health during this period, look out for one another, be supportive. If you're a consumer, music fan, punter, hang on to your ticket, um, help out where you can. Um, you know, one thing I know about the music industry is whenever this country has a fire or flood or an injustice, the music scene is a first responder. We jump in there and raise funds and have concerts and use our voice to, to support other Australians in need. And I think this is a, this is a time where the boot's on the other foot. And, um, you know, our, our industry that is normally there on the front lines helping helping people when there's something needed is, uh, is uh, needing hand. So, um, yeah, just uh, yeah, hope people look out for us right now. Yeah, look, I, I'm optimistic about the future, but it's, it's, the, it's the short term. Between now and then, I think we've got, we've got, a, we've got some problems. More than ever, I, I just, I just want to ensure that as an industry, we do our very best to continue to look after each other. You know, I mean, the days of screaming at the clouds and the anger and all the rest of it is gone. Um, and those of us that are in and fighting for our survival and, you know, and all the rest of it, um, you know, I just, I just hope that we can continue to do that and be recognised as a sector that has incredible value to the culture and the economic, financial well-being of, of the whole country, you know, and... And that's where I think the general public can definitely play a part, you know, as we go along, because you're right, we're still going to have a, a lot of really dark days over the next, you know, three to six months. The financial loss is so devastating, I don't even speak about it. I haven't even looked at how much money we've lost as a company because I don't think I'd ever be able to get the figure out of my head and my mental health doesn't need it, you know, but... I know that the people at Select Music have worked so hard for 15 years to become one of the, the biggest music agencies in the country and then to sit for a period of two years and watch that be dismantled and have no say in it uh, is particularly devastating, you know. So, um, you know, some compassion, some real compassion, some understanding that we're not all in this together no one is in this like the music industry has been in this. You know, it's not your grief is worse than mine. We have an industry that for 16 months has never traded at 100% and it won't for another six months. So that'll be two years of not being able to earn 100% of your income. And I just think that that probably sums up anyone that wants to know anything about what we're going through. Try that on for size. Yeah, you're right. It's it's beyond crisis at this point. Um, look, we're hoping to get some extra assistance from governments soon, um, and we're really hoping that we get that insurance scheme in place. And what I would ask people to do for a start, you know, support your favourite bands through getting on their websites and buying merch. Any money you can get to them directly, I think they would be hugely grateful for because, you know, it is just such a desperate situation. Certainly at ARIA, we're going to look at any, you know, we've had quite a few suggestions come in on things that we can do to help artists or to give you know um give people a bit more a bit of purpose during this time because i think you know there's so much 
um, mental health impact as well from not being able to do what you love, not being able to tour. Um, so we're looking at any, you know, suggestions that come in. We're thinking about some of those things. But once those tickets do go on sale, I just would urge people to go and go and buy them, you know, help your help your favourite artist get back on, sta- back on stage. And, of course, get vaccinated as soon as you possibly can. And I understand people under 40 at the moment are limited in their choices and options, but as soon as you can get vaccinated, get vaccinated because that will be our pathway back to live music again. Look, I would just say this industry, you know, and I'm not from the industry, I'm from a different industry, but I have just been so impressed by people's resilience, um, their tenacity, their entrepreneurial spirit. Um, They will, you know, they're just really um, impressive kind of hustlers. So I feel like if anybody, if any industry can get through this, it's the Australian music industry and Um, You know, I guess the other thing is my doors are always open on my email inbox, on my phone. Um, If you have ideas, if you have thoughts about how ARIA can support artists and support people in the industry at the moment, just get in touch and we'll, you know, we'll try and do whatever we can. I think there's what what I've really tried to focus on with the Queensland government because everyone, you know, they're in charge of it up here, um, is, is trying to just get by. You know, I think that's a really important thing. Give the industry as much as you can with, without huge risk. Um, we've proven ourselves to be very diligent and, and, and lawful. Um, and I think that's my message to the, the government is always, you know, we don't need to be making profit. We're not here to, we, we just want to be here when this is over and, and have an industry that, that we're really proud of, particularly in, you know, Queensland's very proud of the industry. Um, and I just that's that's the main focus for me. We're not here to make money. We just want to not go broke, and and talk to us about how like if there's a house, houses we can rent Airbnbs just for bands to do to do two or three day quarantine and testing. Let's have these discussions. So we, and and then open up our capacity somewhat a little bit with with Mark, whatever it takes. But don't just leave us in the dark and say it's too hard. We don't we don't understand that industry. So. We'll just we'll just leave that. Let them rock. That's the big thing for me. Just communication and consultation with the industry. And I said, I'm I'm really I'd love to set these places up to get vaccinated and people out on Friday night if they want to come in, have a shot, but yeah. organize a shot for a shot. You know. Yep. Hell you yes, know? I love that. Make it fun. You know, try to make it interesting. Anyway. Um. Look, I mean, I think it's just that you know it's astounding to me that we're still facing these issues you know like it's 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 astounding to me that like we as a country that was so on top of or appeared to be so on top of the pandemic and numbers um you know of active cases and deaths like um that we are so far behind now in the rollout um and i you know i guess like being an island did benefit us last year in that way and maybe it's not benefiting us this in, in this way but i also think that like ultimately um, the federal government has a lot to answer for in terms of the vaccine rollout. And um, the longer that it takes for that to happen, the longer it's going to take around industry, which, like I said, was always going to be the last to come back, to come back in full swing um, and to resemble something, um, you know, that looks that looks like the the glorious days that we had, of, you know, before 2020. My best one of my best friends from school, his mother passed away this morning. COVID unrelated, but he couldn't see her before she died. The, the, the kind of 
weird part about all of that is that now that his mother um, has passed away, he can go and see her. That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> so I have know. no words. Exactly. No. Right. And but but they're doing the right thing. They're doing the right thing. And when we get Muppets like we had, that were like we saw in the centre of sitting last Saturday, um, it breaks your heart because I think most people are doing the right thing. And all I saw was my business and our industry and people's incomes and the local cafe down the street and, you know, whatever. The, the, the start date for us getting back to what we do and love was just put back probably by about four or five weeks. And, and I don't think we've seen the numbers the potential numbers of spreading from that one thing, we haven't seen those numbers yet. And that's what we have to do in our industry. We've got to create that. We've got to create that one day this too shall pass. And we've got to keep it together up to that point. The messaging must be we care about our industry. It's easy for all of us in the midst of all this to lose the fundamental message Keep government accountable, keep supporting our industry, keep telling the good stories about people or even people that need help. Make them feel like they can reach out. People are angry. Government, get on it. I just want to call on, you know, your company and all media, music media, to call on artists to come out and support vaccination. Court, I'll be speaking with a... Australian Managers Association, we all need to be a voice. We have got an incredibly strong voice. And when disasters like tsunamis, bushfires happen, we go out there and we do that. Now let's do it for ourselves as one voice. We have to. We have to show the political power that we have. And we're not doing it. I guess... First and foremost, I've sort of realised and recognised my own resilience. There have been some really tough times. I live on my own, so there were months and months where I didn't really interact with anyone. And so I think sort of um, managing and prioritising my mental health has been a really big thing for, um, for me. But I think, you know, obviously on a professional level, I've been able to deal with a vast number of agents and promoters and managers and you know locally here in Victoria but then nationally and also internationally which has been incredible and just the support has just yeah is literally and you know actually the reason and you know how Isolate is still going and still happening and, and the reason we still exist which is kind of testament to how much people appreciate um just that level of connection and how important music is. And I think that's kind of ties into the government's response where, you know, I don't think there's enough sort of recognition about what the arts contribute to um, society and to the community and not just financially, which has been, you know, studied and there are there is the data there to support how much we contribute, but also obviously culturally, like when people in the lockdown they're listening to music they're you know that's you know we are um yeah they're with alongside people I think just get vaccinated if you're eligible that would be my number one um I think the government you know should also be looking at rolling you know at rolling out the a program where um like clearly the hotel quarantine isn't effective so there really needs to be some sort of remote um quarantine situation because 
yeah, people are going to be returning to Australia or coming to Australia for various reasons and the virus is going to, um, you know, enter the country. And so I think, yeah, those, those approaches that should have been made, you know, many, many months ago, kind of making sure that isolated quarantine can, can uh, yeah, help in, in ensuring that people aren't catching the virus while they're quarantining, I guess, is another thing that I'd love the, the, um, the government to hurry up and implement. I keep thinking about what's the long-term benefit, but we've got a much big, better sense of the sector. So I've already talked about um, big kind of departments like Treasury suddenly thinking, oh, this is a major service industry. And I don't care what we're called. <laughs> as long as the, the value is there or recognised. Um, but I also think it's bringing the sector together. That's what I hope that we haven't got the arts over here and gigs over here and commercial investment over here and festivals over here. We're starting to get a sense of how these all inform. And, and as head of the Australia Council, it's very important to me to get recognised over time that public investment in the arts has massive spillover effects to the creative industries. You know, in the UK, they have the Federation for Creative Industries that were brought together, it's a membership organisation, and their entire mission in life is to lobby government to fund what we call the arts, which is actually a broad church. I know people just think about orchestras and operas and ballet companies, but it's a broad, it's a really broad sweep. And the reason they incessantly lobby government is they know they couldn't have their design companies, their architecture companies, their advertising agencies, all of cool Britannia without that initial investment, building so many of the skills. So, again, it's it's a bit easy to talk long-term, but I think there are going to be some really strong lessons coming out of this period if we have the wit and the perseverance to get through it. For, for individuals in our industry, it is a really tough time. Um, you know, we, we, we want to be here to hear people's particular stories. Um, there's been a fantastic piece of work in the last couple of weeks called um, I Lost My Gig, which was organised by Music New South Wales and the Amon Group, and we've all fed into that. To capture all those stories, that's what moves the dial for government. When we can say to the government, in four days, 2,300 responses from people who lost their gigs worth $64 million in four weeks. That's the sort of stuff that will move the dial. Um, so people, you know, reach out to us. Um, we're, we're here to support people and uh, we want the umbrella to be big. Um, we're calling on, um, Jack Rivers just put out a fantastic call to action around radio stations, TV broadcasters, streaming services to play more Australian music. And from an APRA and cross point of view, every time you hear an Australian song or a song written by Australians, that is royalty dollars being paid through. So it will move the dial. That <laughs> stuff, and look, you know, um, especially TV, the value, the dollar value of that stuff is big to the artist. And, um, you know, we, we could spend a lot of time with government fighting for regulation around local content, and we do all of that, but it's slow. So Jack Rivers' um, post yesterday just calling for stations, hey, it's the Olympics for Christ's sake, play more Australian stuff. And it's, it's such... Within 12 weeks through our distribution, that will make a difference. That will put dollars in people's pockets. So um, all those sorts of things help enormously. 
That brings us to a close of our two-part COVID-19 music industry roundtable with a massive thank you to my incredible panel for joining the green room and sharing their experiences and stories and also leading some much-needed discussion into how the industry can emerge beyond the dark and gloomy state it is seemingly locked in right now. And also a massive thank you to the entire team at the Music and the Handshake Agency for making this episode possible. I know it feels pretty bleak out there for many of you, and I know a lot of you are just beyond over it and fatigued by the whole thing at this point. But if today's episode has taught me anything personally, it's that as bad as it gets, there's always some sliver of hope. And we all need to find some way together to stay strong and help each other where we can. And if any industry can survive and thrive in a crisis, we all know it's going to be the music industry. If you are able to and or you do want to get vaccinated, there's obviously a lot of online info and resources out there about what may be available to you and some guidance for your options to help you make the best decision possible for yourself. Complete side note, I am fully vaccinated as of last week. Can confirm I am still standing. I have lived to tell the tale. Not saying that has to indicate that you have to go and do it, but have a read up, have a look at what's out there and see what you think based on your reading. As this episode did touch on some mental health topics, if you are suffering from any of the issues that have been discussed or you do need assistance, please contact Lifeline on 131114, Beyond Blue on 1300 224636, or alternatively, as Clive Miller did mention earlier, you can also reach out to Support Act Wellbeing Hotline on 1800 959 500. And that resounding, my door is always open sentiment did pop up with a few of my panel guests towards the end there today. The tenacity and passion that drives this industry is undeniable. And we just have to remember that even though we're all tired, we're all hurting, we are far stronger united. And there are people and organizations out there ready, willing, and able to help our industry survive in this time. Stay safe and sane, be extra kind to yourself and one another. Keep streaming songs, keep buying merch where you can, keep creating and keep planning for the return of live music in its former dazzling glory. And perhaps most importantly, just keep believing in the power of music. Here's to better days ahead and I will catch you next time on The Green Room.
with Tiana Spita is a podcast from the Handshake Agency Network, produced by Tiana Spita and Andrew Mast, with Pharrell D'Souza and Henry Gibson providing research, recorded and engineered by Zig Parker, executive producer Craig Trewick.